Hello and welcome back to the latest Think Business podcast powered by Bank of Ireland. Today we talk to Marie Cress, Head of Research at Voyago's Transport Innovation Lab, where she works on creating new concepts and pilot projects within the area of mobility as a service. We talk about the future of mobility and transport and how we may be consuming our transport services Netflix style. The future of transport is something I think a lot about because everywhere I go lately, not everywhere I go, because I don't go anywhere because I'm locked down, I'm, I'm, I'm in my house, I'm, I'm, <laughs> we're all locked down at the moment. But the, 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 the future of transport and future of cities and future of life, uh, I, I just have a call there with somebody who was talking about the future of work and how it's going to be very hybrid and how, you know, most people will, will either work at home or come into the office once a week. I think my, uh, what I've learned from that call was that it actually doesn't matter where you work in the office or at home. The fact is when you bring yourself to work in your mind, you're at work and that's the time you're paid for. So... But at the end of the day, I think you know there are two things will happen when everything ends being locked down and the pandemic is over one day. Hopefully, um, you'll either have people with a huge wanderlust and they'll want to go everywhere that they couldn't get to for a year and a half, or you'll have a more balanced world. Maybe cities will be more places where people will live, not just work, and maybe we'll instead of having lots of office blocks, we'll have more more housing for people, and uh, cities will be more livable. I think before all this happened, we were looking at things, everything from scooters to form you had the internet of things it works in cities smart cities and, and, and a lot of people will miss just I, I miss airports personally when you guys look at the future of transport and the future of living and, and moving I think there's lots of lots of things that are still coming down the line self-driving cars you know like electric cars are becoming more com- common but even the idea maybe of ownership of cars you know maybe I don't need a car maybe I'll, I'll have a subscription to a service that when I need a car I can just summon it and it'll come and get me and bring me to the shops or whatever I need to do all of that's very exciting but uh, mobility right Right now we don't feel very mobile because as I said we're all locked at home but we will want to get out there again and we will want to move and we want to do it in a way that's good for the environment ultimately. What, what are your thoughts on, 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 on the future of transport? I think as you said it already like there's two different parts right one part is we've been locked up we want to travel there we see that there's a real appetite for travels again people uh, don't want to hold back on things that were on their bucket list. Too. But this is like the big travels, right? I think people will travel further after the pandemic. We see that there's um, also interest that um, flights will go up afterwards. But the other part is the daily mobility. And as you said, like the majority of um, people, the first thing when you say about daily mobility, it's about commuting, right? So the previous call, which you mentioned about the um, how office and work will change does have an impact on mobility. So the daily commute might be different because people see we can work. Also companies see that their employees can work just as productive from home, which was not a given before. So um, definitely employers will um, open up new opportunities here. So people can also work from anywhere, but still we will be very mobile in a different way. So Um, we are also uh, seeing this with our clients that we work with that now it's like never waste a good crisis, right? Everyone is getting ready for this next step of digital mobility because the thing is over the last years, it's crystallized that actually the industry agrees on the vision of that, as you said, like consuming mobility as a service is the future, is the vision, right? But things like to move towards there, things might be moving a little bit more slowly than it was originally anticipated because you see that there's a lot of layers to this issue, to solving this issue. And generally speaking, when you want to introduce a new service, 
the rule of thumb is that the new solution should be like around 10 times better than the existing solution, right? And it's really hard for mobility service right now to compete with privately owned cars, especially here in the in the developed countries where we are living. We don't have such a big trouble on the individual layer. So if you own a car, your level of convenience for mobility is very, very high, right? Like you might be having higher costs, but there's no real downside to cars because also you see the infrastructure we have in cities is really dominated around or built around, like our cities are basically built around accommodating cars in the best way possible, right? So we're trying to solve a problem which is a really burning problem on the global scale and on the higher level, let's say, but there's not a lot of pain points on the individual at the moment. So I think this is one of the things which is a hard thing to solve because it's not just a switch that you say, okay, I will now start consuming mobility as a service. First of all, there needs to be an availability. And it's a really profound change in thinking and lifestyle of people to really switch towards that. I personally got rid of my car like three, three and a half years or longer ago, almost four years ago now. And it's like, it's a change in the beginning, right? Like you don't just go downstairs, you have your car and you go anywhere. You have to think about your mobility. And, and that's the thing as well. I mean, in the West, we think we're very far advanced when it comes to transport and certainly a lot of cities in Europe are. Uh, I think Germany is very good and the Netherlands is particularly good. But then I saw something the other day that really rested my attention that in Hong Kong and Shenzhen, they've got entire electric bus fleets that and they've, they've already evolved to the point that they might have thousands of these buses on the roads. They all charge up at night because electricity is cheaper at night. And are you guys involved in many of these discussions around what the future of cities might be like? So, as you say, you got rid of your car. I do, I've never been to Ljubljana, but I imagine it's uh, for most of your needs. You can get public transport and you get where you need to go. Um, the future of cities and how they're planning it. Are you guys engaged much with how cities are kind of saying how we need to make sure our our citizens have not only not only access to a, an integrated system so you, you can get from A to B from literally anywhere where you live but also in a sustainable environmentally friendly way? So when you're talking about mobility or when you're generally following the debate it's a lot of buzz around these platforms and applications but that's actually just the tip of the iceberg so there's really profound uh, things that need to be solved on a way deeper level, like the connectivity of infrastructure, digitalizing infrastructure. Mm -hmm. And cities do need to reinvent themselves. So um, I can also send you a link after our talk. I'm the host of a podcast show called Smart Mobility Podcast, where I'm talking to experts from different um, parts of the mobility spectrum or mobility industry. And I've recently had a talk with Karen van Kleisen, who's the Secretary General of Police Network, and we talked exactly about this, like how are cities actually reinventing themselves? Because they need to step up. They need to, she was talking about governance of innovation. You can't just have privately um, owned mobility services or like private companies just flooding your city with, we saw this with the bike sharing streams that were actually not adding to sustainability. So cities do need to go beyond the transport planning of only public transport towards providing a, a foundation to which also private um, companies can then plug in. So you have a comprehensive system that actually adds to the quality of life for the citizens. But also it's very important to then have a, let's say, um, approach to how do you distribute the shares of um, public space usage for different mobility modes? How do you want to disincentivize or incentivize different modes? So the role of cities itself really changes. 
And this is one thing which is like not perfectly solved yet, right? Like some cities are more ahead of this and some cities are not really um, there yet, right? So they need to reinvent themselves. They need to start also, and this is where the digital part comes in, right? How do you even put a framework for this? Like there's on the one side, yeah, you have to have regulations, but also you will have some sort of platforms where these can all come together and for the city to also have the data points to even govern this in some sort of way. Yeah, because I've talked to a lot of companies, Dublin at the moment in uh, Ireland, they <clears throat> were starting, we've just seen legislation being signed off or agreed to be signed off on allowing electric scooters to be used properly and legitimising them. But we've seen what's happened across Europe as some cities have been flooded with these things and they only add to the pollution and then some cities go like we do recognize they're the future but we're going to stop allowing people to just flood them with, with scooters and we're going to have a more managed system so i think that's happened in a lot of german cities uh where they've they've said we'll, we'll, we'll start again and i think it's happened in paris as well so we stop we stop with all these different schemes and when we just we allow them to come in but we do it in a managed way more um carefully thought out so that's great that's that makes sense to me because i think i'd love not more than to go back to a city and just jump on a bike and cycle around or, or if i get to a meeting and jump on a scooter i think it'd be a great day out but i don't want to be tripping over them and um you know i, don't, I, I know that so that that kind of defeats the purpose so uh, so a lot of people are into the mobility. You could have everything from electric car hire to scooter hire. So a lot of people are trying to, a lot of entrepreneurs are quite rightfully thinking, well, these are markets we can jump into now. That I think, as I said, some countries are just getting better at managing it now or they realise where they messed up and they just want to kind of start again. But one of the things that was quite interesting, I mentioned earlier as well, is that imagine if you could just subscribe to a service and say, right, I'm right now. I look at my transport costs right now. They're very little because my car is mostly parked outside my house, and I just use it as a runaround. So when I need to go to the shops, because I live in the country, so my nearest shop is five kilometers away. So I have to jump in the car to get there. Imagine if I was a city person and I just wanted to use the train whenever I want, use a scooter whenever I want. If I need a car, I can hire it or I can summon it. And I want to do it for a subscription fee, you know, add tiers where I need to, or, you know, I'll pay more when I need to pay more because I'm obviously using a car, which is a bit more intensive than using a, a bike or whatever. But but the the idea of vehicle ownership. So my car now is an old car. It's an old Audi, and I had it for about ten years now. And I'm thinking, well, now it's time to change. But I'm going at the same time. Well, I'm kind of just enjoying it as a runaround. But when I do eventually change it, uh, I'll have to look at higher insurance costs. I'd like to get a newer, better car, and that, you know, I need to look at my outlays. So typical outlays are insurance, uh, wear and tear of the car, service and maintenance, all those things. Fuel, obviously, if it's a diesel or a petrol car. Uh, or maybe not if it's electric, it might be a whole different thing. Ownership, well, imagine if I could just replace all of that with a subscription fee like I'm paying for Netflix or I'm paying for Amazon Prime and I just have these, you know, a, a, serve, a certain fee or a certain expectation that if I need a car, I can summon it or I can timetable it and it'll come for when I need to go to the airport or I need to go on that road trip with my family and just go down to countryside and have a car for three days and then pay for that, you know. Are, are those models coming or is it still too... Yeah, it's definitely the vision, right? Like, um, ever, this is when we are talking about mobility as a service, we're talking about exactly this model where you're either having a subscription or even pay per use, but you have one account where you can use all your um, whatever on-demand mobility services, whether this might be a um, car, a electric, uh, like electric car, electric bike, autonomous car, trains, whatever. Mm. But at the moment, it's like, 
essentially you're talking about a platform which has integrated a lot of services, right? And no one wants to be integrated in their sort of Amazon style, right? Oh yeah, because like you, you pay for one thing on Amazon, suddenly you find yourself paying for something more, and then you've got this credit card creep where you're suddenly you're you take your. Payment. But also from the services part, like if you're the operator of a car sharing, um, typically it's not very attractive to be just part of a platform which would then. Um, be steering all the demand, they have all the data about your customers. So this is one thing which is kind of holding up this development, I believe, oh. is that we need to find a model how to um, kind of make everything accessible for a customer without having one dominant platform kind of pushing down all the individual services. And this is where also I believe the role of cities will come in because this is a nice way for a, let's say, neutral sort of neutral party to accommodate all the different services gathering all the um, data points and also making sure that you don't have just a bunch of island services, but that it's integrated in a way in a structure that makes sense for this specific city, right? Mm. So a lot of times we hear that mobility is like Netflix, but it's actually like, in a way it is, in a way it's not, because Mm. we tend to forget that mobility, even though you will have digital touch points to it, and you will, like your entry to the mobility journey will be a digital one, the actual service is consumed in the physical world. This is like the huge differentiator towards how we consume banking, how we consume media like Netflix now, because it's much much easier to roll out and scale um, a fully digital solution, right? In comparison to the one that has um, physical touch points like mobility very much has. Hmm. But I think the first starting point is for people to kind of feel secure, like, the car you have downstairs is like 4% news, maybe now, maybe even less, but in the typical <laughs> pre-COVID times it was a news around 4% of the time and 96% of time it's there as a mobility guarantee for you to know hmm. if something is uh, really urgent, you can just grab your car and go. Hmm. Yeah, but a car also, in, particularly in, in 20th century thinking, is a, is a nice possession to have and... You know, particularly if you love your cars and you, you know, you, you might say, I always wanted to own a car like that. You might only drive it less than 10% of your life. But, you know, for your psychological makeup, you might say, well, I'd like to own a nice Mercedes or a nice Audi or a nice. I think this won't go away. I mean, um, if you think about it, like before we had cars, we had horses for daily transportation. Right. And, and now no one is using the horse anymore to commute. <laughs> But people care. still own horses and it's more like a hobby. It's like a nice to have you. It's like <laughs> as well as start a symbol. And I believe this is some somehow where we also can see cars moving towards in the future, like a sports hobby, um, a nice thing to have, like if it's your passion and if it's your hobby, but not so much anymore an integral part of your daily mobility. And when you say how evolved, like what what are the who are the outliers when you say manif- uh, sorry, transport as a service or mobility as a service? Who who's leading the charge? You know, like in terms of either companies or or countries, who's kind of kind of got? I mean, if there's a if there's a perfect summation of who's kind of summing it up right now, what what countries or what companies are are doing are doing this in a good way? So um, there's a bunch of pilots worldwide that we see that is tackling this issue from different perspectives, and um, one really prominent example is Wim. Um, 
in maybe you've heard of it in Finland, they have like this integrated approach where you can have like tokens for mobility and they're trying to go towards this vision, which you mentioned before, where you just have a subscription. And generally, I would say that the entire Scandinavian countries, they're very far ahead also in terms of pushing the sustainability in electric vehicle usage. On the other hand, you have some other very interesting pilots. For example, tomorrow I'll release a new podcast episode um, where I'm talking to the head of mobility of NEON, which is a, if you've heard of this, it's like a pilot, um, one in a once worldwide project in Saudi Arabia, where they essentially are building a city, which is a 170 kilometer line, which will have an underlying sort of like um, so, some sort of hyperloop um, underneath and um, clusters on top, which is sort of like the 15 minute city, but they want to achieve a five minute city. And they are basically tackling this from ground zero and building a city around the future lifestyle because mobility is an integral part, mm. but it's not the only thing, right? So they want to have this sort of clusters of these micro cities that are very much like it should be a carbon neutral city and in touch with the nature around. And this is a very interesting approach to kind of come at the mobility problem from the city planning perspective, because if you're in a city like LA, having um, Ubering around might be like very expensive because you don't have really access to walkability or even cyclability. Like you cannot cycle everywhere, right? I, I get a bit of sunburn in Saudi Arabia by cycling around, but uh, I, I'd probably want to get a train. But, but, but the idea is ultimately there's nowhere in the city you can't get to within under five minutes. It's, that's the... Exactly. This is this Neon project, which really fascinated me talking talking to them on the podcast. But so there's different angles you can approach this from. Like one is like the regulatory side and it's like the city planning side. And you also need to have the mobility services available, right? Like if you have a perfect infrastructure and you have APIs ready for all the mobility services to plug in where there is none. So it's like it needs to be approached from various different angles. And one very important one is actually the readiness of people to switch. Well, I would also say, like, in countries, particularly Ireland, I'd imagine if we decided to introduce a whole new system tomorrow, we'd have everything from the costs involved to the unions to transport unions, uh, you know, is it safe? You'd have, you'd have, it, 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 because it's such a tangible and important part of life, um, it will throw up a load of, load of issues. And I think in, in places like Saudi Arabia, where they can build everything just brand new, I mean... That, like in Ireland, I mean, we've got streets where I'd, I'd imagine a 16th century uh, coach driver would still find his way around the city in Dublin today because everything's kind of organised. The streets are the same. They're, you know, they're 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 windy as opposed to grid-like, you know what I mean? Mm. So um, a, a lot of countries have still come over that problem. But I think definitely uh, I, li- I like I like the idea of, of, of it happening because it, it, it can happen because it's already happening in parts of the world um, but again the it, I, I think when the dust settles on what life will look like post-pandemic because people need to see this as a big reset um, life has been changed ideas of work have been changed I mean the idea of remote working or home working is not new uh, it just was accelerated by the situation we're in today. Has has the pandemic ultimately accelerated the transition to smart transport or do you think it's kind of put a pause on it? I think it's um, it's put a pause on transport as we knew it now because there was um, no, no movement, right? But I do think that especially once in the heads of the people who are driving this and second of all, in the heads of people who are consuming mobility, it has actually accelerated because 
a lot of people who maybe were on the edge before of like selling their car or or relying to on mobility services, maybe this was the final push they needed to say like, okay, my car's been sitting idle for six months. I've been paying insurance for that. Why don't I I get rid of it Mm. and just um, use it as a service? Or to really just rethink, because also in times of the pandemic where everything was really slowed down, there was no traffic, you can really experience your city in a different way. And especially for myself, I was walking around in Ljubljana, and in the first wave, like last year, there was really no traffic. The public transport has been almost shut down completely. And you can really experience the city in a different way when you see, like, this is how it would be if we hadn't had all these traffic jams every day mm-hmm. at rush hour. But on the other hand, also cities have had time to kind of in cities and in companies, a lot of times you're so much in the daily business that you don't have time to take a breather and really see are you on the right way. And this pandemic maybe has given opportunity to take a breath, see where where you had it, is this the right direction or not. And um, for a lot of important foundations to be um, laid out, for example, you saw these pop-up bike lanes in Colombia, in Berlin, worldwide that actually the city started to give space back to the people that wasn't used up by traffic so you mentioned this like in the beginning of our talk that cities should be actually livable and for the people not for cars and and vehicles to move around i think this has happened before it has happened now in the pandemic and for example in berlin they're having now um, ideas and plans to actually put entire quarters of the city um, without traffic, I've read something that they want to really or create more spaces for people to live in the city again. And I think this is a really important uh, first step, which has happened now because of the pandemic, because people were like, OK, we are locked up in the city, make it livable, make it enjoyable. And has the, the pandemic changed how even the whole financial instruments of transport have been looked at from the point of view of, you mentioned their insurance, like if my car, I'm paying a whole year of transport insurance, car insurance, but I've only used my car less than I would. Surely using things like telematics and 5G and all that kind of stuff that maybe you should only you pay for insurance when you're using a vehicle as opposed to paying a flat fee or whatever it is for a whole year. Do you think there's a lot of changes around financial modelling around transport ownership and management, like like insurance as one example, or is that something that's just going to add a load of complexity to, to an already complex uh, situation? I mean, uh, surely will be a part of it because when we start to use everything on demand, and when we will have no ownership, we need to also have a new way of accounting for, for insurance, right? Because before it was easy, you have your car, you have your insurance, and you're the one driving it. Now there's hundreds of people who are driving one car, but if it's, um, for example, here I'm using an electric car sharing scheme, and they have really good insurance just for the fleet, and it's all covered. So I think if you're a regular user of the same set of services, it will not be such a big issue as for having like insurance for each transaction. Mm. I think it would be more that insurance is taken care of by the mobility service provider, but I'm not the expert on this, by the way. It's just how I um, feel like this um, with the with the services I'm using here, so. But ultimately, I think final question really for you is like, uh, if you were to cast your mind forward a decade and kind of imagine what typical transport solutions would be like, do you think it'll be just kind of more of the same with still incremental changes? Or do you think we'll have seen a huge revolutionary step forward in, in transport in, in, in predominantly capital cities? I think that still it is and should remain uh, the backbone of also mobility as a service should be the public transport because it's really the most efficient and most sustainable 
systems we have for moving people um, really on a daily basis. And I think that mobility and mobility service offers um, that will add on that, like car sharing, scooter sharing, will just add this notch of percentage of mobility guarantee that people will need to kind of ease their mind and be like, okay, if, even if I miss the train, there is a car right there I can use. And just the variety, or also if you have a really important meeting, you might not want to rely on the bus. You might want to have an, a private Uber or a private car that will bring you there. And I think this variety will allow people to really um, ditch their privately owned cars and fully rely on mobility as a service, which is maybe not a given yet in all places, because this variety is really what eases your mind and what enables you to fully make the switch. And I do believe um, also here in Ljubljana around, I see um, a lot of people already choosing to not own a car anymore. And I believe this will be, I mean, now it's like, few years ago, let's say two, three years ago, when I got rid of my car, I was really like one of the crazy pioneers who were like um, taking the, <laughs> the risk of not having a car. And now it's this. You were, um, you were, you were basically literally walking to talk. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. And now it's already in this like innovation stage. It's like you're not in the pioneer stage anymore. It's the first movers, the people who are um, who are fans of that. So you see it more and more happening around. So I think that in, in a decade's time, we will have such a variety and it will as you said before like you need to take care of your car insurance of of changing tires of washing it there's a lot of downsides of ownership yeah. that will be um actually coming to people's minds especially maybe also fueled by the pandemic but people will i believe um when the offering will be there when they can access it in a digital way maybe not fully connected yet as in this vision we were depicting before but um it will be enough for people to um with a good conscience, say I don't need to own a car anymore. I mean, I'd be, I'd be happy if it like just meant that I didn't feel I had an asset that was just not being used. But if I could actually feel it was actually, I was getting the benefit of it, but also knowing I'm in good to the environment. But uh, ultimately, knowing that when I need to go somewhere, I have the transport that is most appropriate to that need whenever I need it. And yeah. I think that's I think that's the future, if, if it was to sum it up. But listen, Marie, thank you so much. That was great. Really good conversation. And uh, thanks for your time.